So the sermon this morning is called Do Unto Others. Amen. And so there's a, a, hacked, uh, a hacked Sony email posted by WikiLeaks. Reveals that Ben Affleck demanded that PBS show, uh, the PBS show is called Finding Your Roots, remove the fact that one of the actor's ancestors owned slaves. And so in a, in, in a July uh, 22nd, 2014 email, uh, the show's host, Harvard, uh, Harvard uh, Professor Henry Louis Gates Jr., asked us, uh, Sony USA boss Michael Linton what he should do about Affleck's request. And so uh, one of our guests has asked us to edit out something about one of his ancestors, the fact that he owned slaves. Now, four or five of our guests this season descend from slave owners, including Ken Burns. And so we've never had anyone ever try to censor or edit what we found, but he's a megastar. What do you do? Linton advised that the revelation be removed. I would take it out if no one know if no one knows, but if it gets out that you are editing the material based on this kind of sensitivity, then it gets kind of tricky. And in response to the leaked emails, Aflac apologized for having made the request and admitted that he was embarrassed by his slave-owning relative and wanted to distance himself from him. Now, if PBS was to do a documentary on finding Jesus' roots, what do you suppose they'd find? He's the king of all kings, the lord of lords, so surely his pedigree is perfect, right? Well, wrong. Think about this. Rahab was a prostitute. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. See, truth be told, all of Jesus' ancestors were imperfect and sinful souls simply because all human beings are imperfect, sinful souls. What if this news gets out? He's a megastar. It could ruin him. But Jesus wasn't embarrassed by his pedigree. He didn't want to distance himself from it. Rather, he embraced it, acknowledging that God uses imperfect, improbable, even undesirable characters to accomplish his purposes. See, this is the God that we serve this morning. He uses imperfect people to do a perfect work. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to, in Luke 3.23, uh, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as supposed, of Joseph. And so what would your past say about you? See, it speaks about a genealogy. So we have the history of Jesus. We understand that he comes from a lineage that's imperfect. It's blemished. It has no promise whatsoever. Yet, amen, he embraced it. He didn't try to hide around it. And in fact, he used it as a testimony. What would your past say about you? And so we come to this truth this morning that everyone has a past that they are not happy about. Everyone has a memory that they wish they could just erase and throw away for good so no one else is able to rehash or rediscover this horrible, embarrassing thing. Yet God makes it very clear that He forgets when we repent. In Micah 7.19, the Bible says He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. 
Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. See, God is a, a merciful, holy God. He's a God of justice, uh, but yet he's a God of mercy and grace. See, God doesn't want us to live in regrets. He doesn't want us to live in embarrassment. We are children of the king. You know, there was a duck hunter that uh, he was with a friend in the wide open land of the southeastern uh, of, of southeastern Georgia. Far away from the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. And uh, soon he could hear crackling as the wind shifted. He realized the terrible truth. It was a bushfire. And it was advancing uh, pretty quickly. So fast that they couldn't outrun it. So he was looking through his pockets. He was rifling through his pockets. Uh, he soon found when he was looking for a book of matches. And when he found this, he began to light a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth, waiting for the fire to come. They didn't have to wait long. They discovered their mouths, they covered their mouths in their, uh, with handkerchiefs and began to brace, uh, brace themselves. The fire came near, swept over them, but they were completely unhurt, untouched, and they were not harmed at all. See, the fire would not pass where fire already had passed. So Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And the reality is the law cannot judge what Christ has already forgiven. And so we live our lives, amen, in this uh, in this torment, amen, in this time of regret, uh, thinking that our past is going to sneak up on us. Listen, if we repent of our past, God is graceful enough to forget what we have done. See, one of the hardest things to do in life is understand God's forgiveness. And this is said to be true, and the reason behind this truth is not fully understanding God's forgiveness is because sometimes we cannot understand God and the mercy He extends to those whom He has chosen to forgive. Those that we believe don't deserve forgiveness. He gives and it baffles us, yet He gives us example after example why it is pivotal to forgive and forget. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 23-35. The Bible says this, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him, who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell before the king, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. That's two cents. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay his debt. So... When his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called them, and said to him, You wicked servants. He said, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you have not also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? 
And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also would do if each do unto you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. I want to first speak about the great mercy. In our text, we read of a servant who owed a, a tremendous debt that by all means was impossible to pay. There was a great contrast between the two debtors as far as amounts owed. We look into the debt that was forgiven by the king. The, the worth of that debt was approximately 2.4 million British pounds. So according to studies, for any man to carry that much, it would take 8,600 men to carry 60 pounds each. This man was not able to pay the debt that he owed his first master. And so that's a lot of debt which obtains a lot of mercy. And we hear this and wonder how does this relate to us? This is, uh, this is our sin that was forgiven. It was too much for us to carry. A weight too heavy for us to bear. Too much for us to pay. And too hard for us to completely understand. This king showed his servant a tremendous amount of mercy. The penalty was great. His wife and his children were going to pay for the debt that he owed. They were going to be given into slavery. Yet mercy was extended to him and his family and all was spared. Somewhere within this trans transaction of mercy there was a disconnect. Somehow I think that he looked at this situation that seemed impossible to care for and thought that he just got away with a crime. Think of me for a second. He got away with, uh, without paying 2.4 million British pounds. That's a lot of money. He got away from paying this debt. He didn't leave, obviously, with a heart of gratitude of Thanksgiving. He left with the mindset saying, I got away with the crime. He didn't leave uh, with a heart of gracious generosity or wanting to repay. He left with a slick thought of, of escaping the impossible. God wasn't even in the equation of this merciful act of kindness. God's mercy was taken for granted. And it was not carefully thought of and embraced as being a blessing, as being forgiven. See, this man misunderstood the mercy of a king. This man never took a moment to examine his situation as being deadly or heart-wrenching. Instead, he looked at the situation and said, I got, away, I got away without paying a single penny. And because he misunderstood the grace and the mercy of God and decided to not embrace the true forgiveness of his master, he was not able to extend the same forgiveness and mercy to the man who needed it. See, this was what I call great mercy. In other words, it was huge, it was large, like his debts. And because the king has a great compassion and heart for his people, he forgave him his debt and set him free. What a wonderful example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His great mercy and His forgiveness is beyond our understanding, if we're honest. We don't understand the mercy of God. It's too much for us to bear. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against Him, 
See, we never really look at, amen, at what we do. We just look at what God is doing and we just take it for granted at times. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. See, deliverance is the word used for ransoming a man who is in prison of, who's a prisoner of war or a slave. And this man is now being set free from the penalty of death. For God's deliverance of the children of Israel, whom we are, from their slavery in our sinful nature, which is Egypt. For God's continual rescuing of His people in the time of their trouble. The Bible says that God will give you peace in time of your trouble. In every case, uh, the conception is delivering a man from his situation uh, from which he was powerless uh, to deliberate himself or from a penalty which he himself cannot pay. This is how great God's mercy is uh, when we look at the supernatural power of God. Uh, he is forever covering us and, is, and escaping us uh, from the penalty of our wrongdoing. Here we have Jesus, the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. Our debt is great. Our sin is large. It is huge. It is not being able to be paid for. We needed someone with long arms and deep pockets to pay our debt. And that's exactly what Jesus did. God delivered men from a situation from which they could never have delivered themselves. And here comes God with his big old heart for you and I this morning and said, I know how I can pay that debt. He said, I'll give you my only son. And he did. He gave us the debt payer. Mercy was displayed by his payment for our sin, our debt. Amen. We needed someone that was big enough to pay our big debt and great mercy pay what we could not. See, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. And this is what we hear. But I want to secondly speak about the merciless servant. You know what, church? It's amazing to me that liars don't like to be lied to. And thieves don't like when something is taken from them. But even more so, when something good is done for you, God frowns when you decide not to do good to others. Matthew 7, 12 said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So here we have a merciless servant. He was just forgiven a huge debt, which I just expressed. He just walked away from a possible life sentence in prison. And his family taken into possible slavery for the debt that he owed. And yet, it did not faze him one bit to have the same mercy for one as the king had for him. We love the fact that God forgives us, but we have a hard time forgiving others. There are people, amen, even Christians today, that do not know how to show forgiveness toward others because they have not fully embraced the forgiveness of God in their own lives. They are no different than this unforgiving servant. See, forgiveness is the economy of the heart. Forgiveness saves the expense of anger, the cost of hatred, the waste of spirits. It is too, it is too soon not to forget that the master of the first servant 
heard of what took place and called for the forgiven man again to replay the act of mercy and ask him why. Why didn't you forgive as I have forgiven you? And he's replaying uh, over and over again, replaying the situation. Listen, I forgave you this huge debt uh, and you cannot forgive for two cents? And the scary thing was that the king called the servant wicked. Listen to me this morning. Unforgiveness is wicked. It is not of God at all to show no mercy, to lack compassion for others. That's wickedness. And that will be judged by God. See, God has forgiven us our trespasses. Uh, are we not commanded by God to also forgive those who trespass against us? Luke eleven four says, and, I f- and, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgave, or forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Matthew 6.15 says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Beloved, this is a tremendous example of what really happens. When we chose to not forgive, or when we choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive, we put ourselves in this prison of unforgiveness. This prison of torment, this prison of hatred, uh, this prison of everything opposite of God's grace. See, beloved, unforgiveness places us in in prison, in our own minds. And it doesn't allow us to live in the fullness of God's grace. Because we're not displaying or rather living according to the scriptures, yet we want scriptures to be fulfilled in our lives, we love the portion uh, where it speaks about God's blessing uh, or God's overflowing uh, or God's pouring out. We love that because it benefits us. But God is telling us, listen, unless you forgive, you will not experience any of this stuff. Somewhere in your life and in my life, we will have to make a decision to forgive what we think is unforgivable. And allow ourselves to embrace and be embraced in the arms of God. Because the arms of grace are always open. They're always available. You see, church, Jesus clearly speaks to us in truth of of a God in heaven that is merciful and loving and long-suffering, the Bible says. A God that is patient and kind, just and faithful to forgive, the Bible says. This is the God that we serve and this is impossible at times for us to understand when we're having a hard time forgiving others and being merciful to somebody else. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unforgiveness is unrighteous. So we need God to help us in that. And if we would be obedient to the truth that is spoken of, amen, we would have the ability and we would have the power to forgive those that have offended us. Life is going to take its course. We first need to stop making the forgiveness of God so complicated. 
We make it so complicated for people, and yet God made it so simple for us. Just repent. See, we try to explain this forgiveness. It's like trying to explain God's love for us. Listen, He's just God. Don't try to explain God. You can give attributes of God's love and His kindness and His grace and all the but you fully cannot explain God. And the question is, do we really need to try to explain why He sent His only begotten Son? We can give reasons, but try to fully explain that would be foolish. That's why the Bible says live by faith. Because when we try to explain, we hinder our reasoning rather than just doing what's right. See, the Bible speaks about the unforgiving servant was explaining to himself in his mind instead of just doing what was right before God. See, we can be guilty of the same thing. Just do it. Just forgive and be set free. Psalm 77, 15, you have with you, with your arm, redeemed your people. And so the redemption of God is impeccable and still able today to do what He has done since the beginning of time. Forgive, bring covering, uh, redemption, restoration. Uh, see, God bestows His blessing without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God, the Bible says, and they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even to those who deserve the opposite. People that we think don't deserve forgiveness, give it to them anyway. It's God's way of doing things. See, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look at those who, who stray as those evil people or those poor people who need our help. Nor must we search for signs of love, worthiness. See, grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. God loves because He's God. See, if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from Him. See, the Bible says, do unto others what you want done to yourself. It will always be right and best to do what God has told you to do. When He gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. Don't debate what God is doing. Just do it. Very popular portion of scriptures I closed this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5... And also 7 and 8, the Bible says this. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Does not provoke. Thinks no evil. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And 7 and 8 said, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But the Bible says love never fails. Listen, church, you cannot be like the unforgiving servant. Begin to understand and accept and embrace the forgiveness and love of God so that you will be able to extend what you have received. Because there were people that desperately need it. Remember, the servant was called wicked and placed in prison. 
We don't have to be that way. We can be blessed because we obeyed. And just forgive. And we have to be aware of what we're doing, aware of where we're about and who we're serving. The Bible says, do unto others what you want done unto you. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning in respect.